certainly have enjoyed the hymns that have been selected today and your prayers and thoughts uh, toward uh, one another and toward the preaching of his word. We'd like to ask you to open your Bibles with us to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16. We want to understand some lessons that we learn from the experience of the Apostle Paul in Philippi. Most of us are acquainted with the Philippian letter, which was written by the Apostle Paul to this particular church. And the founding of it was dependent upon the labors of the Apostle Paul, Silas, Timothy, and of course, Brother Luke. But there's some things in this account that I want to bring to our attention uh, this morning as we study some particular lessons that we learn from the ministry of the Apostle Paul while he was at the ancient city of Philippi. In this study, we're going to be introduced to three different heart conditions of people that confronted the ministry of Paul, conditions that exist even today. We're going to see a woman whose heart the Lord had opened. We're going to see a young lady, a young girl, a maiden, as she's referred to, whose heart was darkened. And we're going to see a person, a man, particularly whose heart was hard. In the ministry of the Apostle Paul, we see, uh, we're going to back up for the context sake as the Apostle Paul was striving to determine where God would lead him, where God would direct his ministry, he, we find it interesting that he wanted to go to Bithynia, which would be north of where Paul was, and the Spirit of the Lord didn't uh, allow that, as we find in verse 7. And, and then he said, They passed by Mycenae and came down to Troas, which was south of where they were located, and And then we read these words, beginning at verse 9. And a a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia. And uh, Macedonia, remember, is a Greek uh, province of Rome. Philippi was so named for Philip, the father of Alexander the Great, who had conquered that region for ancient Greece. And a vision came to Paul from that part of the world Macedonia and prayed him saying come over into Macedonia and help us and after he had seen the vision immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia assured assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them therefore loosing from Troas we came with a straight course uh, the wind at our back to Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis, which were, Neapolis is, of course, the port city for Philippi. Uh, today, by the way, w- which is known as Naples. Have you ever heard of Naples? Well, that's the ancient city of Neapolis, the port city of Philippi. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, the Philippi uh, was... Uh, the, we, what we would refer, refer to as the capital of the province 
of uh, Macedonia. And we were in that city abiding certain, certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont or customarily made. And we sat down and spake with the women which resorted thither. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. And a certain woman, here's, here's one of the people that Paul met there, a, a, a woman named Lydia, a seller, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. Now here's the, 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 the woman with an open heart, opened by the Spirit of God, opened, that, that she attended unto, she received, uh, unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, you see, she, she was, became a believer because the Lord had opened her heart. She believed the gospel that Paul and Silas were preaching and subsequently was, was baptized. That's why we state over and over again, every example of baptism in the New Testament is the baptism of a believer. Someone who was brought to faith in Jesus Christ. She was baptized in her household. She besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. I'll come back to that. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel. Now this term damsel is from the Greek word that indicates she was a young girl. And this name associated with her is, is the name of a slave girl. And she was possessed with a spirit of divination. A spirit of, of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying, by uh, fortune-telling or ventriloquism. Uh, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of her gains, their gains was gone because of the, the demonically gifted young girl. They, they caught Paul and Silas and, and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. Now, I want you to notice immediately that they, they've left out two of the people that were there. They, they left out Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. They, they left out Timothy. We need to remember this occasion is about 50 AD now historians tell us that that's a very critical time in the Roman Empire because the emperor's name was Claudius Claudius Caesar and historians teach us that in 49 AD he expelled all the Jews from Rome in fact in chapter 18 verse 2 Luke records that very moment when Claudius Caesar would expel the Jews from Rome, blaming them for uh, uh, the drought that had come upon the Roman Empire at that time, 49 A.D. So this is about 50 A.D. This is uh, right in that era 
when Rome was accusing the Jews of, uh, uh, of rebellion against the gods of Rome. So there was an anti-Semitic attitude in the Roman Empire. And remember, Philippi was a Roman colony, so, so they would adopt the very, um, the very methods and the very laws of Rome itself. So they had a very uh, big uh, issue with Jewish people, and Silas and Paul were evidently Jews. Luke wasn't. Luke was a Greek. Luke was a Greek doctor. He, was, uh, he had a Gentile background, and Timothy's father was also a Gentile. So it, it stands to reason why they would leave them out. Even though they are there, they're not going to draw the persecution that Paul and Silas would being Jews. So here this anti-Semitism raises its ugly head in Philippi, and they lay hold on the two Jews, plainly uh, acclaimed Jews, uh, of Paul and Silas. And, and they said this to their magistrates. They brought them to the marketplace or the agora, where the court hearings were held, and, and they brought them before these magistrates in verse 20, and they said, these men being Jews, they, they're going to prejudice the court, do exceedingly trouble our city. They're troublemakers. Kind of reminds us of what they accused Elijah of. Remember Ahab, when he met Elijah, said, Art thou he that troubles Israel? And it was actually Ahab that was troubling Israel, but but that accusation comes out. They, these, these folks are troublemakers. And the multitude rose up together. Verse 22, the multitude rose up together. Now the multitude here are Roman citizens, Romans, Gentiles primarily. And um, they rose up against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes. That, I mean, they're, they're really making a show out of this. And they commanded to beat them. Now, I want you to notice this is an illegal trial. It, it's, it's illegal because there was no representation for Paul and Silas. There's no defense. They, they, it was illegal because they imposed a punishment upon them without a charge. It's illegal for them to do this, but they're going to show their, their allegiance to Rome, and they're going to beat these Jews with rods. And by the way, that's a very painful, painful affliction because the rods that are under consideration here are four uh, half-inch uh, dowels that are tied together with rubber. And the man is standing over the outstretched back of these people, stripped back, naked, and they're going to beat them. And they're not going to just hit them um, a few times. Uh, Rome, see, Roman law did not restrict the number of times a magistrate could beat uh, a criminal. So they're going to beat them black and blue. They beat them. And uh, they've, they've got hard hearts, see. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, doesn't tell us how many, but a bunch, they cast them into prison, a dungeon charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison where there's no windows, there's no lights, there's just a barred gate. And they made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, when it talks about the stocks, it's talking about chains. 
It's talking about chains that are coupled to the ankles of the prisoner. Uh, if you and I were to go to Rome today, we could see an ancient Roman prison, and in the uh, prison uh, walls uh, that are made of block, uh, stone, in the mortar of those uh, blocks, there is to this day a one-inch um, a piece of uh, iron that has an eye bolt on the end of it. And through that eye bolt would be chains that would be fastened securely to the hands and the feet of every prisoner. So we, it's not hard for us to imagine how uncomfortable uh, Paul and Silas must have been having been stripped and beaten um, with rods under the magistrate's command and now they're put in this inner prison where there's no airflow and you can imagine the stench there and um, the uncomfortable nature of this their arms and their legs would be put in these stocks these chains now you'd think that would be uh, a time where you'd hear some kind of complaints You'd think that there would be some kind of echoing of the disgruntlement or the discouragement of Paul and Silas. But watch this. Verse 25. And at midnight, the darkest hour of the night, Paul and Silas prayed and uh, sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. Now this was not a normal, you can't explain this kind of an earthquake away. This is not a normal activity of nature. Even if there were an earthquake, how can you explain all of their chains falling off their hands and feet? It's a miraculous display of God's vindication of his servants. And the keeper, the man in charge, the Roman soldier in charge of that jail, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, threw out his, drew out his sword and would have killed himself. Why? Because under Roman law, if... Um, if, if a Roman soldier who was custodian of a prisoner would for some reason lose that prisoner, he himself would be afflicted with the same punishment that the prisoner would, would uh, be imposed upon. Much could be said on that. But that's why he's going to kill himself. To save the magistrates the trouble, he knew that his life was on the line and he draws out this sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had all fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice out of the darkness of this dungeon. Paul is seeing him, but the keeper is not seeing Paul. And Paul is seeing what that, uh, what that Roman soldier is about to do. And he says, wait, hold it. <laughs> do thyself no harm. For we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling. As you can imagine. And he fell down before Paul and Silas. 
and brought them out again, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. They spake unto him the gospel. They spake unto him the truth of God's word and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his house were baptized straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Now this is a powerful rendering of a historical account in the ministry of the Apostle Paul in a place called Philippi. We, we need to remember that Philippi would be the first place where the gospel of Jesus Christ would have come to Europe, to the European theater. Had the Apostle Paul and Silas taken the gospel northward and eastward to Bithynia at this particular time, then the opened door to Asia, which, which were, would include China, uh, which would include India, uh, those parts of the world, they would have received the gospel before Europe did. But in God's providence, God opened this particular door uh, at this particular time to demonstrate his particular purpose. Um, the first point I want to make in our study of lessons in the ministry of Paul at Philippi is providence. Providence. The God of the Bible is a providential God. He's a sovereign God. Psalm chapter 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens and hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. I take a lot of consolation in Psalm chapter 76, verse 10 this morning when it says where, where David uh, uh, exclaimed this truth. He says, the wrath of man shall praise thee and the remainder shall thou restrain. In other words, God is exercising his providential will in the life of the Apostle Paul and by the way, in our, our lives to, here today. He is a God... Of providence. In Romans chapter 8 verse 28. The apostle Paul said. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. We know that all things are not good in and of themselves. But ultimately the things that are working out in our very lives this morning. Are going to ultimately redound to the glory of God. And ultimately will be to our good. And we're going to learn that. In Paul's suffering and struggle at uh, Philippi. I think about this in terms of how God deals with his children all through the centuries. Remember uh, the, the story of Joseph. How he was betrayed by his brothers. Yet in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. When the brothers came to Joseph expecting to be rejected. Because their father Jacob had died. Now he's going to pay us back for every mean thing we ever did to him. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the way brothers think, you know. Now he's going to get even with us. And yet, Joseph is standing before them and saying, you don't understand. You did mean these things for evil 
You intended these things for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant, or uh, the word meant there comes from a Hebrew word that means to weave, to weave fabric. God has woven the fabric of these events to ultimately work together for our good and His ultimate glory. That's what Joseph was explaining to his brothers on that occasion. I think about this in the ministry of the Apostle Paul often in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9 where he says, God, uh, the sovereign God, the God of providence hath opened unto us an effectual door of ministry and there be many adversaries. There be many adversaries. You know, a lot of us will rejoice when God opens a door of ministry opportunity, whether it's in Africa or India or the Philippines or Russia or wherever it might be in this world. We rejoice in that, but we don't like the second part of that. And there be many adversaries. The Apostle Paul wrote that as a qualified man of God who had experienced both sides of that providential uh, leading, where doors were opened, but the adversaries were many. Remember in Acts chapter 9 when uh, Jesus was appearing to Ananias and he told him to go over and help the uh, brother Saul? And, and, and remember, Ananias was kind of like uh, many of us would be today. <laughs> Wait a minute, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about because <laughs> we've heard about this guy. This guy is a bad dude. This guy has come here to afflict your people, to afflict the church. This guy is not our friend, and you're saying you want me to go to him and help him? But Jesus explained to Ananias, he's a changed man. He's a praying man. And when Ananias went to Saul of Tarsus, Remember what he called him? Brother Saul. See, his status was changed by the grace and providential power of God. So the first lesson I want to understand here is God's providence. God actually brought the Apostle Paul to Philippi. He was wanting to go to Bithynia. He was wanting to go to Messiah. God says, no, it's not time yet. It would, it would come later. Through the ministry of Peter. In fact, Peter actually writes about Bithynia in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He, he includes the brethren in Bithynia and Cappadocia uh, in his letter that was circulated among them. But not, not right now, Paul. Paul, it's not the right time to go there. I want you to go to Troas, and from Troas, you're going to take a ship and go over to Macedonia. And the chief city, the capital city of Macedonia, is Philippi. But, but Lord, you know, Philippi is a rough city. Philippi is a Gentile city. It's a pagan city. It's an idolatrous city. It, it's, it's a city where all kinds of shameful activity is going on, all kinds of hardship, all kinds of uh, uh, sinful uh, things going on. And God says, that's perfect for the sending of the gospel. That's where I'm going to send it. And Paul goes to Philippi. And he goes to Philippi, and I want you to notice what we read. He was there certain days. He was in God's waiting room. You know, sometimes that's the hardest part, isn't it, Brother Bobby? <laughs> waiting to see which and where and how God is going to use this in His providence 
to plant the gospel, to share the gospel. He was there certain days. And when he found out there wasn't a Jewish synagogue, you know, historians tell us why there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. This is extra biblical, but it, it makes sense to me. For there to be a Jewish synagogue, there had to be at least ten heads of households. Ten fathers, ten men had to be gathered in a per particular place for there to be a synagogue planted in that place, that village, town, or city. So what that tells me is that there weren't ten Jewish men that were willing to acknowledge they were Jews, that were willing to show the fact that they were Jews, because remember, it was a time of great persecution against Jews. See, it wouldn't be too many more days, actually about 20 years, the Roman legions would descend upon the city of Jerusalem and burn it to the ground. See, that's the time frame we're talking about. We can see the animus, the prejudicial treatment of the Jews. The Romans literally hated Jews. So it's not surprising to me that the men, the Jewish men of Philippi would not want to draw attention to the fact that, that they were Jews and establish and build a synagogue. So what's going to happen? Jewish women are going to go out and they're going to find a place by the river. And uh, by the river, they're going to have prayer meetings. Isn't it marvelous? Listen to me carefully. The first church established on European soil was produced through the prayer meetings of women. Now, is that a shock or what? I thought women were going to be in the church and shut up, sit down, say nothing, and do nothing. The church is all about men and not women. I thought, I thought, uh, I thought women were not supposed to be active in ministry. But when you look at the Apostle Paul's ministry, you see women all around him. When you see the ministry of Christ... You see women all around him. When you look at the early church and the, way, and the people that Paul commended in the churches, they were women. Do you realize that Christ and the Christian church elevated the role and in, in, importance and significance of women? No, women are not called to be pastors. We're not saying that. But what we're saying is that God has a specific role for women in his church that is very important. And significant. So here we find it very interesting that Lydia, this woman whose heart the Lord opened, God providentially brought Paul to Lydia. And it was in her house that the first Christian church was established. That's, that's God's providence. Now, we would call that, well, the, our forefathers would call that favorable providence. If you read the London Confession of Faith, it talks about favorable uh, providence. Uh, providence where things are, are looking good and things are looking uh, peaceful. But there's another aspect of God's providence in which he actually brings us into suffering. He actually brings us into affliction. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul's ministry of Philippi demonstrates. 
He's going to go into this Roman, uh, we'll call it a Roman Greco uh, culture. He's going to go into this pagan um, polythe uh, polytheistic uh, culture. And he's going to be pronouncing the monotheist, monotheistic God of the Jews. The one God. The one true God. He's not going to be looked upon with favor. He's not going to be looked upon as one who is passive. He's going to actively be engaged in opposing the culture. He's countercultural. The gospel has always been countercultural. And here he's demonstrating that, and he's going in this way. And here's this, and you can just imagine this in your own mind. Here's this young slave girl. It doesn't say much about her, but she's obviously. Um, inhabited by a demonic spirit. Now, this is a real thing. And by the way, in India, we have witnessed some of these type of things where people were actually, especially young children, were actually uh, inhabited by a demonic spirit where they spoke with a man's voice, had a man's strength. Terrible things uh, that they were doing. And... And, and, and in my mind, I, I immediately go there. I, I think about this in terms of this young maiden. And I want you to notice this in verse 16. She was uh, possessed with a spirit of divination. That is Numa Puthona, the spirit of the python. What is the spirit of the python? The spirit of the python. Uh, the, the python was a mythological uh, character. Uh, that uh, defended the oracle of Delphi. Um, it was a, a spirit being, a demonic spirit that inhabited the prophetesses of the oracle of Delphi and they would speak, uh, they would be paid to speak things of the future. Some of them even uh, had uh, ventriloquism and they could deceive people for money. So here she, and by the way, there's a lot of that going on today too. In what's called Christian pulpits, it's the spirit of the python. It's anti-Christ, anti-biblical. That's the spirit of, that she had on this occasion. Her heart was darkened because of this demonic possession in her life. And she's following the Apostle Paul. Now this is curious, isn't it? She's following the Apostle Paul saying a true statement. Uh, these men are the servants of the Most High God. And by the way, Most High God there, Most High God, El Elion in the Hebrew, is uh, found 50 times, 50 times in the Old Testament as declaring uh, God's status over all the gods of the earth, El Elion. And this was a true statement by this young maiden, this slave girl, if you will. And she's following the Apostle Paul through the streets of Philippi. And every time he's going to be uh, preaching the gospel, she comes behind him and says, These are the servants of the Most High God, El Elyon. These are the, they're telling you the truth. They're showing us the way of salvation. Why would Paul's heart be grieved? The next verse, he grieved Paul. She was saying the right thing. She was telling the truth. 
about these servants of the Most High God. Why wouldn't he say, Amen, Hallelujah, tell it, sister? I'll tell you why. Because he knew it was demonically driven. The demons always know who Jesus is. The demons always know who Jesus is. And they know who belongs to Jesus too. Remember when Jesus, all through the ministry of Jesus, we could go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record this. How that Jesus would come uh, into an area and the demons would speak out and say, Are, uh, We know that thou art Jesus, um, the Messiah. Art thou come to destroy us before our time? They, they, would, they would respond to the presence of Jesus. Jesus would cast them out and, and, and uh, cause them to be quiet. He would, he would silence them. Because listen to me carefully. Satan transforms his angels, uh, his ministers, into angels of light for one reason. To deceive. To mislead. The apostle Paul, it grieved him to no end because he recognized that this was a demonically uh, possessed person and he didn't want... Uh, that message from a demonically uh, possessed person to affect or to uh, look upon with fellowship the gospel message that he was preaching. The gospel of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with the gospel of demons. The gospel of demons might be 90% right, but that 10% is deadly. He didn't want any connection to demonic activity at all. That's why it grieved him. It grieved him. I believe it grieved him because he saw the status of this young girl. That she was being manipulated by the devil. She was being used by the devil and ultimately to be destroyed by the devil. It grieved the heart of the Apostle Paul. And he rebuked that demonic spirit. Not in his own name. Yeah, have you noticed that? Not in the name of Silas. Not in the name of Timothy or Luke. But he rebuked that demon in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my second point here, quickly. The first point is the providence, the, the lesson in providence, but also a lesson in power. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. When uh, uh, right before Jesus publicly ascended into glory, remember uh, what happened? He, he told his disciples to tarry in Jerusalem till ye be endued with power. Power from on high. Dunamis, dynamite, a power of ability, and by the way, capability. Uh, the ability to accomplish the will of God and the gifting or the capacity to fulfill that task. That's connected to the word dunamis. The power of God in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul was not um, magnifying himself. Paul was not magnifying his own ability or capacity. He was magnifying the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, he... he uh, uh, expelled that spirit out of this little girl whose heart was darkened, but now the light was turned on. And he came out of her that same hour. Now, as we, as we go through this story, it's interesting 
this third character intrigues us all, this jailer, this trembling jailer. This jailer that has the responsibility to bind the Apostle Paul and Silas. Uh, this speaks of the third point, persecution. We see a lesson in persecution against even the innocent labors of the Apostle Paul. In other words, uh, the world always has a prejudicial view of Christians, whether they're Jew or Gentile, but there's a prejudicial aspect of, uh, of, of separation that occurs there. And, and, and brothers and sisters, I want you to know something. Our country today has never been more divided. Oh, well, maybe back in the 1860s, okay? But we're right there today. There, there's division among our, uh, our, in our nation today uh, that is uh, more than racial. It, it's, it's an aspect of uh, uh, some thinking they're better than others. I don't know how you were raised. I, w I was raised to treat every person like I wanted to be treated. What, it didn't matter what color they were. It didn't matter where, what side of the tracks they came from. That's the way I was I'm so thankful I was raised that way. Well, the Apostle Paul pointed us to a gospel message that removed racial distinction. The, in, see, in Christ, there is no white man, black man. In Christ, there's no male nor female. In Christ, there's no rich or poor. In Christ, we're all one family. And that unifying message is repulsive to the Romans. And it's repulsive to America today. They don't, they don't want that being taught. Beloved, we can't fall into that trap. The gospel is for everybody. And, and, and what we understand from the ministry of the Apostle Paul is that it's going to draw persecution from those that hate the truth, from those that hate Christ and despise his very sacrifice. Persecution is very real. You know, what's interesting to me this morning that Paul would even refer to persecution in Philippi when he wrote another church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, he, he said something. He just makes a little note, a passing note in that letter. He says, you know how we suffered over at Philippi when we were wrongfully um, uh, entreated of them. He refers to this very experience where he was unjustly arrested and, and uh, accosted and beaten and imprisoned without a trial, without a hearing, without a defense. But persecution is going to come, isn't it? Persecution is going to come against uh, Christians that are willing to stand up for truth because the world hates it. The world hates Christ. The world hates His people. The world hates the truth even today. I'm mindful of what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. He says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, and strengthen, and settle you. But notice, after you have suffered a while. See, the call to Christianity is a call to suffering. 
It's a call to being persecuted. Jesus said, if they hate me, they will also hate you. If they reject you, they will also reject me. That's why he said, you don't have any friends, really, in this world apart from those that are fellow Christians. My daddy put it this way. He said, uh, uh, in God we trust, all others pay cash. There's going to be persecution, just like Paul expressed and experienced in Philippi. The fourth point is prayer. Brothers and sisters, we undersell the power of prayer. That's why it's important to have prayer meetings. That, that, that's what it's about. It, it, it's a place where we are able to charge our batteries, but it's also a place where we can hear our brother's concerns and, and burdens. It, it, it's a place. Uh, prayer is that communicative skill that God uh, gives to his people that not only honors him, but also edifies one another. It's wonderful when we hear our name being called out in prayer. Had a prayer with a brother uh, who fell into a pit and, and, and broke his hip this week. Um, and, 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 and I just had a burden, a prayer burden for him. And, and I called him up on the phone before he went into surgery. I says, uh, Brother Jonathan, I, I just really feel like I need to, need to pray for you this morning. Uh, I, I need to pray with you this morning. He says, well, they're fixing to take me back. You got a minute, go for it. You know, we had prayer, and I could hear him on the phone. It, it just touched him. He said, Brother Jeff, he said, uh, it means a lot to hear my name in prayer. See, I believe that's part of what the prayer meeting is about. We hear the name and the, and the burdens and the struggles of one another. And, and there's something that goes on in our hearts. We're, we're rejoicing in that. We're, we're able to be strengthened by it, you see. And that's what a prayer time is all about. And here the Apostle Paul and Silas, you know, sometimes I get feeling sorry for myself, and then I remember Paul and Silas. I think I'd be complaining about the, the way they tightened those uh, bonds around my, my, my hands and my feet. And... And maybe, uh, as some uh, Edersheim even said, that the way the Romans put chains around the feet was to stretch out the legs so that they would cramp. In other words, it was a miserable experience. You, you, you didn't just lay down on a cot and go to sleep. It, it was uh, up against a cold, wet wall, moldy wall, uh, with all kinds of human waste around. It, it was a terrible, terrible experience. And if anybody had a right to complain, it would be Paul and Silas. But what are they going to do? What are they doing with their pain? What are they doing with their uh, conflict? What are they doing with their struggle? What are they doing with their uh, not understanding what you're doing, God? I thought you sent me here, and here I am in prison. They're praying. They're praying. I believe, uh, with some degree of certainty, I believe what they're doing is praying the Psalms. Praying Psalms like... This one. Listen. If I can find it real quick. 
Here it is. Psalm 119, verse 62. I, I, I believe it sounded something like this. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said I would keep your word. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. At midnight, this is verse 62 of Psalm 119. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. I, I think that uh, was part of their prayer and part of their singing. In Psalm uh, chapter 142, verse 7, he says, Bring my soul out of prison, O Lord, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. I believe the Apostle Paul was calling to mind these uh, uh, inexorable and uh, 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 unchanging promises that God makes to his children when they are suffering for his namesake. You see, it's a great pleasure, it's a great privilege and honor to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And many of us don't know what that means, but the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul was acknowledging the God of providence. He was acknowledging the power that comes from him. He was acknowledging the presence and existence of persecution, but he did it with the power of prayer itself. James would say that in James chapter 5 verse, th uh, uh, verse 12. He would say, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Let him pray. That's what Paul did. They were praying unto a prayer hearing God. And they sang praises unto this God. They were praying. Praising God in the midst of their affliction. We could go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We don't have time to, to do this. But in Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. That's a powerful parallel here. Where he says, don't, don't be, uh, be not uh, drunk with wine. But filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't be controlled by wine. But don't be controlled by your circumstances either. Don't be, uh, don't be controlled by the things you suffer. Don't let it control you. Don't, don't let it uh, call, bring you to a place where you're blaming God and say, God, where are you? God, what are you up to? God, I don't like you anymore because I'm hurting. Don't get to that place. Don't, don't ever come to that place. That's not a good place. For God's children to be. We need to be people of prayer and praise. In the midst of our afflictions. And then I want you to see this. I want you to see it. <laughs> I've asked a question. This is the question. And I'm going to ask you this. What did Paul and Silas know. That the other prisoners didn't. Think about it. What did Paul and Silas know that the other prisoners did not know? I believe that they knew the resurrected Savior and they knew that he was with them in the midst of that struggle. Now listen carefully, listen carefully. I believe that that's where the burden comes. 
and wanting to share the gospel with people that God brings into our path. We should want them to know the same Jesus. The same Jesus that is able to turn that prison into a palace. That is able to bear us up and, and carry us through the very deep waters that flood so many souls. I, I tell you, my heart grieves when I read articles about the rise in teenage uh, suicide. My heart just breaks. Because I, 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 there's just something in me that says, boy, I, oh, if I could have just shared with them the reality of Christ and if I could have shared with them the truth that sets men free. I believe that was going on. That dynamic was going on in the heart and life uh, of Paul and Silas as they hung upon that Roman wall. All of a sudden there's an earthquake. And, the, uh, and you know, and, and, and it's interesting to me, it happened at midnight. The darkest period of the night. It happened at midnight. Now everybody, or most people, go to sleep at midnight. Not Sister Wanda, I realize. Not some of the people here in the I realize uh, some of you are night birds. But I'm going to tell you something. This was a time of night when the others were asleep, uh, we would assume. They're asleep, and they're awakened not by complaining, not by grumbling, not by uh, cannon fire, but they're awakened by fellow prisoners that are praying and praising God. I'm telling you, that had to have an impact. And this is how I know it did. When the doors came open, they didn't run outside either. The other prisoners didn't leave either. Remember, Paul said, we are all here. Why were they all there? Because they had heard something so unique and so wonderful and, and so beautiful, they didn't want to leave. They, they didn't want to leave the presence of that kind of religion, the presence of that kind of truth, the presence of that kind of faith. What I've been looking for all my life. One time in Africa, I just want to tell you a quick story. One time in Africa, there was a young man named Billy. And Billy was, uh, uh, Billy's mother was a witch doctor. And he was trying to, he was really struggling, trying to get out of that lifestyle. You know, it was really a, a hard thing. Because he felt like he was under a curse. He told me that. He said, and the reason I don't, I believe what you preached. I, I, I believe the message of Jesus Christ. I want to accept him as Savior. But I want you to know if you baptize me, uh, uh, my mother said a spirit is going to kill you. Now, what would you say to that? What would you say to that? If you baptize me, you're going to die. I looked at Nathan. Nathan looked at me. I was wondering if he'd volunteer to baptize that day, but he didn't. <laughs> And Nathan says, are you afraid of that? I said, not a minute in the world. Let's go. And they took us down a path. I can show you right now where it's at. And, and, and we went down into the water, me and this Billy. Billy was a big boy. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm not kidding, a herd of cattle came running into that creek. I mean, they were all around me. They were brushing up against me. They came from behind me. I was standing here with Billy, and, and, 
And by the way, this is on film. One of the brothers filmed this. I didn't know that for a long time, but he filmed it. But all, all of these black cows, cattle, they, they were just, just all around us. And it was a tumultuous. And Billy was looking there, and he's looking straight into my eyes, and he says, I told you. Just like that. I said, Brother Billy, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? He said, yes, sir, I do. Do you believe that he died for your sins upon the tree of a cross, a Roman cross? He said, yes, sir, I do. I said, do you want to live your life as, as long or short as it is to his glory and the advancement of his kingdom? He says, more than anything in this life, I want that. I said, I baptize you now, my brother. In the name of the Father, oh boy, a cow hit me. In the name of the Son, a cow hit me. They were going all around us. And in the name of the Holy Ghost, amen. And I took that heavy, he, he was over 200 pounds, took that heavy fella, put him under that water, and then he came up. His face shined. And there was the biggest smile. On I hadn't seen him smile yet. He came up out of the water and said, Hallelujah! I'm free. Beloved, the gospel is worth preaching. Paul wanted these fellow prisoners to know the peace and joy that he had. And it's wrong, it's selfish for us to try to keep, uh, keep this truth away from them. No. We learned that lesson in Paul's ministry in Philippi because it, it produced a fruit to the glory of God. I'm telling you, it's God's glory in the salvation of sinners. The last quick point. I just want one last quick point. Productivity. What was produced by Paul and Silas's ministry? It, it's important. This is an important point. What's it all about? I'll tell you what it and I'm going to tell you in one verse what it's all about. John chapter 15, verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bring forth much fruit. Not for your benefit. Not, 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 not for your uh, uh, assessment. Not, 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 not so that uh, you can take some acclaim. But for His glory. For the advancement of His kingdom. That's how the Father's glorified. He was glorified through Paul and Silas at Philippi because they were willing to not only share with the fellow prisoners, but even share with their accuser. They shared with the jailer. And you know what happened to him? Instead of causing more stripes on his back, you know what he was doing? He was washing their stripes. Instead of taking food away from them, he was giving them meat off of his table. You see, that change 
is what we call fruit. Evidence. That's not the cause of his salvation. No, no. It's not the cause of salvation. It's the evidence of being saved. So what about you this morning? Are, are you willing to learn some lessons from Paul's ministry at Philippi? Then learn this last one. When the jailer came to, to Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? When someone comes to us and says, You know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to be saved, but I don't know how. I don't know what it incorporates. I don't know what it means. Tell them what Paul told the jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him for your salvation. Trust him for your life. Trust him for uh, his working through you to impact others. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. God bless you. Thank you for your good attention this morning.